Good to be with you, both services all together. What a wonderful uh, opportunity it is to worship together. And this morning, we have been doing God-centered worship, haven't we? Theocentric worship. What other kind is there? What other kind should there be? There is no other kind of true worship, but God-centered, Christ-centered worship. And thank you, our friends from Turkey. Great to have you with us. Uh, and we pray for you and we pray for your ministry. You are, you are our courageous brothers and sisters who continue to stand for Jesus Christ in a very difficult place, but a wonderful place uh, where the gospel came from and where it is now still spreading. So thank you. Thank you. But we are, we are about being God's. I love that. I love this. Many of you knew the songs. How great is our God? How great thou art. We're about talking about the greatest God who is the only God who is experiencing awesome. You know, the world would be a much better place if everything about our lives was God-centered. The problem with our world is that it's not God-centered, it's man-centered. All the problems come from us. And so the reality is, is that if we take this God-centered worship and God-centered teaching and allow it to affect us every day of our life, we take it out there, then maybe, maybe some difference really will take place. It's got to happen here, and then it's got to go out there. And so to that end, we're starting a new series, Experiencing Awesome experiencing the reality of God and allowing the reality of God to transform us. Because when we experience God, we enjoy life much better. He is honored. He is glorified. But we enjoy life. We were made to enjoy him. And then in addition, we're transformed. We're not about behavior modification, we Christians. We're about being transformed by the God who is. And so the reality is, as we experience the awesomeness of the God who is, we enjoy life at a deeper level, even in the midst of challenges and suffering and loss. And we are transformed. To that end, then, we're going to do this series. And as we start, let's bow our heads and hearts briefly in prayer and ask the Father to be with us in a powerful way in this series. Our great God, we do come into your presence now and are so thankful for the fact that you have revealed yourself to us in powerful ways. We thank you that you are the great communicator in what you've made and in what you've taught through your prophets and in your word and preeminently in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that great mystery, we bow in reverence. For surely your word teaches that clearly, that there is one God in three persons, and we humble before humble ourselves before your majesty today. Lord Jesus, we honor you as the eternal Son of God and Savior of sinners, that you are the one that has come and fulfilled the law of God perfectly for us, and, and then taken our curse that we could be set free and be reunited put in union with the God of the universe, with yourself, Holy Spirit, for being the one to come and take the work of Christ, to apply it into our hearts, to, to, to transform us so that we could have faith, that we could believe, that we could know, that we could be adopted, 
that we could be declared not guilty for our many sins. Oh God, we come before you and we bow before your majesty, how great you are, how great is our God, immortal, invisible, God only wise. And our desire in this series is to know you for how you have revealed yourself to us. So Father, for those of us who have known you for a long time, we come and we ask you, we beg you that you would renew our hearts, that you would, you would take the blinders off our hearts, take the scales away, take the calluses off our heart. Lord, how we have domesticated you, how, how, how we have tamed you. We pray for the wonder that we lost, that it would be restored that you would show us who you are and all of your glory in the weeks to come. And then, Father, for those of us who are new to following you or almost there, open to your work in our life, we pray that you would delight us and disturb us, that you would remind us and teach us who you are and then lead us into your presence. So it's for your glory that we're here. And so to that end, we pray for the one who teaches that you forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. For truly our desire is to see you in your glory and in your awesomeness. Together we pray these things then in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. God's people said, Amen. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to realize how culture affects you. Uh, this comes home to me over and over, how affected I am by my own culture. Uh, several years ago, I don't know who started the trend. I don't know where the trend started, but I know it came out with my kids and other people. But uh, the use of the word awesome, if, before you know it, everybody's saying, that's awesome, that's awesome, awesome this, awesome that. And, uh, and, 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 and I'm not an early joiner. I want you to know, I don't join things quickly, but I started saying it too. That's awesome. And by the way, I like that idea. Don't you? It's awesome. I mean, it's, I bet it's deeply into your vocabulary. It's where I think as well, I think it started out with some of the surfer dudes, dude, that's awesome. Skateboard guys, dude, that's awesome. And I, and I love, I love it though, because it fits my temperament. I mean, I'm, I'm an enthusiastic person. I admit that. I like that. It's better than, how you doing? Cool. Yeah. All right. All right. I liked it when people started saying, awesome. You know, I figure if you're bored, you're boring. And I, I don't want to be around boring people. Life is too short. And so the reality is when people started using awesome, uh, I, I eventually, I eventually joined. I started using it too. That's awesome. That's wonderful. That's great. And, 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 and because life is a powerful thing, isn't it? Irenaeus, the pastor said, the glory of man, of uh, glory of God is a man fully alive. And he meant men and women. It is to the glory of God when we are fully alive. And only the spirit of God can do that. And, and so the word awesome when we apply it into our daily life, it reveals, yeah, I'm alive. I'm in this. I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, uh, hey, I heard you hunt gators. I said, yeah, I've hunted gators. And we, we still do hunt alligators. And when we get a chance, we, we do. We, we hunt them. It's fun. It's a cover. <laughs> Sucker didn't make it. I want you to know. 
It's exhilarating when you pull one of those things on the side of the boat and they start doing the death roll and somebody says, grab the tail. And it was me and I grabbed the tail. <laughs> You're alive. It was awesome. I, I, I love to hike and many of you like to hike too. I'm going to Colorado at the end of July. I get to hike a couple of 14ers out there. 54, mount, 54 mountains over 14,000 feet. When you get to the top of a 14er and you're from Florida, it's, it's awesome. Because in Florida, I can see about 35 feet because it's flat. It's awesome. Our daughter just got hired uh, locally as a PE instructor at Winter Springs High School. She did her internship here. Wait, she's coming back. That is. I use it all the time. You use it all the time. And so the, the reality is, 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 is that we're alive when we think about the awesomeness of life. Life is good. But then I started thinking about this earlier this year as I was doing a series for some of the guys that I teach. And I was thinking about, about the word awesome and it occurred to me. I had an attack of biblical solemnity and I was thinking about the reality that there is only one being in the entire universe that is truly and that is there is only one being who is ineffable, that is unexplainable. There is only one person who is truly indescribable, who is truly awe-inspiring. Yeah, I have a lot of fun. Yeah, there are wonderful things. That's good. That's great. There's a lot of things that are dynamite. But the only one that inspires true awe is God. So I had to change my vocabulary. And I've been working on it. And it still slips in and somebody's going to come up. You're going to catch me after the service. I know you guys. And you're going to get, and you say, oh, you're not supposed to say awesome. But the reality is, is that our lifestyle ought to reflect our theology, right? The truth of scripture and what God has done in our life. And, and so, so God is awesome. And when we know who he is, and by the way, we were meant to know who he is. And not just to know intellectually, but to experience We've been called into a relationship with him and we're to know and experience the God who is. And so as we know him, we enjoy him. What are, those of you true good Presbyterians here, the shorter catechism, first question, what is the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. We Presbyterians are great at glorifying God and worship and in doing things for him. We're not so good at enjoying him. So in our, my, my personal mission statement, I flipped that. My mission is to enjoy God as father and glorify him. Because you see, once grace sinks into our life and we are transformed by the God who is and we enjoy him, then we glorify. We naturally glorify. We want to glorify. Grace energizes us to glorify God. But first, you got you to know who he is and his glory through Jesus Christ. And then we're transformed into greatness. You know, we need more great people in the world. You know that, don't we? Greatness as God defines greatness. And only, only a great God can make great people. And so in this series, I want us to, to experience greatness, not just know about him, but to begin that process of allowing his greatness 
to sink down deep into our hearts and minds, into our whole being, so that it radically sets us free and transforms us as God's beloved people. I want to start out with experiencing God with Romans 1, 20 through 23. It's an important text uh, that we see, and many of you know it's, it's such an important text for us as Christians. Romans 1, 20 through 23. Listen as I read, for this is God's holy word for us. The Apostle Paul says, under inspiration of, holy, of the Holy Spirit, for his, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became what? Fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So the Apostle Paul teaches some really important things here, some important truths here. He teaches, first of all, uh, that, that, through God, that though God is spirit and invisible, we see the work of God, we see the nature of God in the works of God. You and I weren't there. We didn't see the creation happen. But in the creative work of God, we see the attributes of God. We see the power of God. We see his divine nature, right? And that's so important. The invisible attributes of God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So the Apostle Paul says, they're really without excuse. People are really without excuse. And so it makes sense from the beginning of time, people could walk around and look at all that God has made and say, isn't God awesome? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he, isn't he incredibly creative? Isn't he diverse in what he has made? The beauty around the world is stunning. Uh, I know a lot of people talk about the hiddenness of God. A lot of philosophers talk about uh, Deus Absconditus, the hidden God, the God who seems so hidden in the midst of our trials and difficulties. And yet, the reality is, as I look around, I think God is the greatest communicator of all. I, I think God is screaming at us. The psalm writer says the same thing. The heavens declare the glory of God. The, the creation is screaming at us every day. You have to work very hard to say, ah, it just all happened. Ah, it just came to be. Yeah, the comp I think I told you that I slammed my baby finger in the back of my roll-top truck when I shut it one time. Did I tell you that? I think since I was here last, I lost my little nail. I've been thinking about little nails on fingers and little pinkies lately. And I think it's going to grow back. You know the fingernails are incredible? Do you know that they are awesome? And when you don't have one, you know it. Who created that structure? An awesome God. 
You have to work pretty hard to say it's all by chance. And yet the reality is that's exactly what happened in our culture and in our world. The reality is, is that we work pretty hard at saying there is no God. It all just happened. And you and I are influenced by that all the time. And that's why we're not experiencing God as much as because you and I are, are sublimated into a culture that has consistently and loves to weekly, daily hammer us with there is no God. It all just happened. And so since the Garden uh, of Eden, men have become expert at denying the true God. Uh, and what should be obvious uh, to mankind is not obvious at all. We're the outliers. We're the radicals. And uh, now Romans 1, 21 and 22 teaches something else. And that is that when people turned off their minds to the God of creation, they turned off their minds in powerful ways that affected their ability to think about everything. Sin turned off our minds. The rejection of God as creator turned off our, pushed the button on our proper moral thinking and, and, and ethical thinking and relational thinking. And so that we, we're not thinking right. It's like a mind turned off to God as creator is like a computer turned on but disconnected from the internet. So many things just don't happen. And that's the world we live in. And that's the world. And, and, and the mind disconnected from God, the creator, who is awesome, is a mind that is disconnected from all of reality. We were created to experience the awesomeness of God. And now we are living, most of us in this world, in the everydayness, the blandness of humanism and secularism. It's a problem. It's bad news until Jesus came. Bad news until Jesus came. And that's why as, as you read John 1 in this light, it's such a powerful thing. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not was anything made that was made. In him was life, and, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, the Word, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God has remedied this disconnection in a powerful way because, well, as he goes on, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace for the law has given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Catch this. No one has ever seen God. 
the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. When Jesus walked the planet, the awesomeness of God was again walking the planet so that people would say, who is this man? Who is this? And then an absolute mystery happened. When the gospel hit you, and when you and I were transformed by the gospel, Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ where? Lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself for me. And so what we see is in the gospel, Rankin Wilborn in his book, Union with Christ, has said some powerful things. We need to read that book. It's so powerful because he says faith, faith is how union with Christ becomes operative and the power and powerful in our life. Faith is the God-given gift that allows you to take hold of the fact that God has taken hold of you. In the gospel, what has happened is that we have been forgiven of our sins. Yes, wonderful. We have been adopted as sons and daughters. Yes, wonderful. We have been declared not guilty for our sins. Yes, wonderful. But he who walked the planet, who is awesomeness himself, now lives inside of us. And we are in him and he is in us. Can you wrap your head around that? I can't either. And if you do, let's write a book. We'll get it all figured out. But this is what we're called to do as we think about the reality of who God is and what he's called us to do. This is the God who has redeemed us and saved us. The awesome God through Christ, the son is now in us and we are in him. I will spend the rest of my life trying to figure that one out. But right now, I tell you, I need to let it uh, uh, work through me. What is this God who is awesome? What is he like? Quickly, uh, let's look at uh, attributes unlimited because in the Bible, we see a whole array of the attributes of God. And in this series, we're going to address several of them. Look at this, the self-existence of God, the eternity of God, the immutability of God, the omniscience, the omnipresence, the omniscience, the holiness of God. How many of you have heard of some of these attributes of God? Yes, we've heard them. Uh, the righteousness, the love, the grace, the mercy, the patience, the justice, the goodness, the faithfulness, the wisdom, the infinity, the trinity, the simplicity of God. This is God as he has revealed himself to us. Is God a great communicator? Is God hidden? I don't think so. Not in creation, nor in his word. He continues to tell us who he is. Why? Because he intended to have a relationship with us and he, he did everything to establish that. And then now we need to know who that God is and live in light of his awesomeness and experience it. But I'll tell you this, I'll make a confession. I, I'm a Presbyterian by choice. That's probably not good theology, is it, Rod? All right, I was brought kicking and screaming into being a Presbyterian. I, I, I never really thought about the sovereignty of God, the bigness of God. But the reality is I love the truths that we teach because they come from the Bible. 
And yet what has so often happened in my life is that the truths of theology got stuck in my mind and they haven't unleashed my heart. So I can win most theological discussions. But can I... But I, but I know that some of my brothers and sisters in other denominations are outliving me in prayer and in faith because their little truncated bit of knowledge, which is not great, is lived. Their God actually is bigger. Let me, let me tell you a couple things about the attributes of God, then we're going to look at the self-existence of God, and then I'm going to send you out this week to the holy week of preparing and thinking about all of this. Uh, what, what I want us to understand is that, is that in, in these attributes of God, we need to understand that God reveals himself in his simplicity, in his wholeness. Uh, these, there is no standard outside of God that God happens to be the only one to fulfill. It's important for us to understand that. There is no eternal spiritual law outside of God. God is the law. God is the standard. And as we look at these attributes, we need to understand that he sets the tone for what is perfection. The attributes of God are what we know to be true of God. The perfections of God. As he embodies them. There's no external standard out there. God is the standard. And then it's important for us to understand as we think about the attributes of God and how God has revealed himself and how the awesomeness of God wants to flow through us is to understand that God is simple in the sense that all of his attributes work together in the same way, at the same time, in the same connections. For instance, God is not sometimes loving and sometimes just. God is always loving and always just at the same time. You get your head around that? But that's true. Uh, some, my neighbor was talking to me the other day about how the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. What? That's a common thought. In the Old Testament, God is a God of wrath. In the New Testament, God is a God of love. Does God's love, is God's love exhibited in the Old Testament? Is his grace and mercy seen in the Old Testament? Of course. Does God discipline us and is he loving at the same time? Absolutely. We can't cut God up into little pieces. God is simply perfect and awesome in all of his ways. And as we look at who he is, we need to let him transform me. The great theologian Clint Eastwood said one time in his, in his movie Heartbreak Ridge, he said, you can run me, you can dog me, just don't bore me to death. See, a lot of Christians are bored with God, but God is not boring. We're bored with God because we domesticate him, because we put him in a box. We try to think God in our view, and God is constantly saying, your view of me is way too small. Let's start this series by looking at the self-existence of God just for a few minutes before I get you out of here today. This biblical proof of the self-existence of God. What do we mean by the self-existence of God? Many theologians see this this, uh, attribute of God as the overarching attribute of God, that God is self-existent. Aseity is the Latin word. It's the phrase that tells us that God is, gains his existence from himself. There's no one other than God. The little kid said, okay, dad, I get it. God created you. God created mom. God created me. Who created God? No, that's the point. God is uncreated. 
His existence is from himself. And you can see as you begin to try to come to terms with that, that this involves other attributes, doesn't it? This involves the immutability, the, the etern- eternality of God. That God is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. This involves the immutability of God. God never changes. This involves so much in our way of thinking. And where does this come from in Scripture? Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, after Moses said, you send me back to the Israelites and I got to tell them to follow me. What God do I tell them? Says, follow me. What God sent me. And God said, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me. The Hebrew verb to be, which translates into the covenant name Yahweh. Elohim, the creator God, is also Yahweh, the personal covenant God of Israel, who comes after Israel to redeem them out of Egypt. You tell them that Elohim, the I am, the one whose existence is from himself in the present tense and in the future tense. And it has all of these other ramifications of the, of the, of the eternality of God. God didn't begin. He always was. That's God. But in this context, what, what he's saying to Moses is you tell the people of Israel, I am, I, I will be, I, I, I have been, I, I am, and I will be, And all of that is for you. It's a covenant statement. I don't just exist. I exist for you. Why did God do this? Did he have to? Did he have to create us? Did he have to redeem us? No. But he did. The self-existent one who needs nothing created us. Recreated us. I sometimes think I'm kind of important. I thought I was when I was a pastor. Then I was no longer a pastor. And people stopped calling. But I realized I'm not awesome. But he is awesome. And Jesus. hmm. John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. If God the Father has life in himself, if God is self-existent and and Jesus is self-existent, then who has the ability to give you life? Jesus. And Jesus alone. And has he done that? He's done it. Jesus says, I am, in the, in, the, in, in the gospel of John, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am self-existent. And so the reality is, if there's only one self-existent person in the entire universe... 
who is not dependent upon anybody, and you and I are in a relationship with him, what is he calling us to be? Self-existent? No, independent. He's calling us to be dependent upon the God of the universe. He's inviting you and he's dividing me to be dependent upon the one who is completely independent of all need and the only one who has the power to provide anything for us, everything for us in this life and the life to come. And so if God is self-existent, listen, if God is self-existent, here's some, here's some application as we pull this together. I want you to understand, enjoy not being in control. And you control freaks, this is hard for you. I'm a recovering control freak. I'm a recovering in many areas. You say, you, people know me say, you're not really recovering much. <laughs> Enjoy not being in control. When you let it go, you're not in control. And any sense of personal control that we have is, it, 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 it's not real. Live in reality. You're not in control. I don't care if you're the CEO of your company. I don't care if you're in charge of it all. I mean, if you're family, I, I care you're not in control. Enjoy being ultimate, not, enjoy not being ultimately responsible for everything. It's great. I have glimpses of it a couple of times a week. I'm working on this. Let go of some of the weight that you're carrying. Rest. At least on Sunday. And as you go out there the rest of the week, you don't have to perform, perform, perform. Listen, Isaiah 26.3 says this. You, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then he says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Theologian John Frame says theology is the application of scripture. And so the shorthand of that is uh, theology is application. So I want you to go out here this week. And I want you to do some theology. I want you to spend some time trying to wrap your head around the, the self-existence of God. I mean, I want you to think of, I want you to get alone. Get away from all those little people in your life and big people. And I want you to actually think the self-existence of God, God who always was, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. Again, Wilborn in his book, Union with Christ, reminds us that God has called us to a sanctified imagination. Where we would apply, the Bible is filled with stories and, and teachings that make us think bigger. When we think bigger about God, we think better about life. When we think smaller of God, we've got a small life. And so, and so the reality is a self-existent God invites us to dependence. What do you fear? Do you fear for the future of Orangewood? Don't been difficult times. I know. I feel this with you. I feel it deeply. I pray for you. I, yeah, I, I'm part of you in a other part of town kind of way. You're my family. 
But don't fear for the future of Orangewood because we have a self-existent God who is known before the beginning of time. All that's happened, all that is happening, all that will happen. He's large and in charge. And when we live, and when we live in fear, we live so small. When we live in fear, it makes us angry. Does this situation make you angry? I know. Lift up and look at the God who is bigger than you and I could ever imagine. Do you fear transition in your life? Do you fear sickness in your life? When we fear, fear is that button that goes off that reminds us to go back to a bigger picture of God. Fear, fear is what makes us look inward and downward and ought to make us look upward as we're unleashed by the gospel to remember the power of God, running back to the reality that your father is self-existent. A.W. Pink, a theologian who I've quoted before, whose name I said I would change if it were mine, A.W. Pink, said this, something more than a theoretical knowledge of God is needed by us. We don't need any more theory. We need the experience of the awesomeness of God. The foundation of all true knowledge of God must be a clear mental apprehension of his perfections as revealed in Holy Scripture. An unknown God can neither be trusted, served, nor worshipped. I believe that with all my heart. And that's why what we have to do is we have to take the words of Scripture, this theocentricity, this God-centeredness that we get here in worship and in teaching, and we've got to live it and take it out of here with us. We've got to stay on our knees at some point. We've got to let our minds meditate on it so that the picture in our, of God in our head gets bigger and bigger and bigger and then gets to our heart and, and, and enlarges our heart. Me, I'm in this with you. It's not you I'm telling you. It's, I need this. Our half-hearted worship comes from our half-minded understanding of God. Our half-hearted generosity comes from our half-minded understanding of God. Our half-hearted discipleship comes because we have a half-hearted understanding of who God is. The answer is God. In all of his greatness and grandeur, J.I. Packer, there is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of divinity, as only Packer could say it. There's something exceedingly improving to the mind it's a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity. So that our proud, that our pride is drowned in its infinity. We lose the wonder of God because we lose the bigness of God. J.B. Phillips said, Your God is too small. Mark Buchanan said, Your God is too safe. So here's the challenge as we, as we get ready to get out of here. I want to challenge you to the risk of thinking bigger about God and of allowing these truths as we talked about the self-existence of God and the self-existence that we, that, that the life that Jesus moderates to us through his grace to cause us to fall to our knees. Would you join me 
by allowing the grandeur of God to drive you to your knees at some point during the week? Would you carve out some time to let the Spirit of God enlarge your hearts and minds as he's, as he's continuing to do with me? I need this. I want to know him, and I want to know him. And the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. I want to experience awesome. Don't you? The joy you will experience will be palpable. And the transformation in your character will be stunning. Trust me on that. The bigger the God, the bigger the life. All because of Jesus. You take it to heart. Let's pray together. How great are you, our God. Would you, as you fell in your power in the temple to create a sense of majesty among your priests, as the priests and Levites led in worship in the Old Testament, and as the people sung mighty praise and worship songs to you, as the Ark of the Covenant led the people of Israel to conquer the land, as you in your resurrection power, Lord Jesus, work in our church, would you create and recreate in us your wonder? Would your grace so energize us that we come alive more than ever? And that the God of the universe would be known through us this week. Meet us. To that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.